you're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Hi, Julia. Hi. How's it going? Uh. Uh. Anyway, how are you? <laughs> I'm. I'm good. Today is the equinox. It is, and it's weirdly hot. It is weirdly hot. We had like a week of fall, and then it was like surprise, it's summer, which means next week it's going to be winter. Which is very exciting, it for me anyway. I don't mind winter. It does make me think, like, as much as I want to sit and be cozy, I just am somebody who, like, I'm like, there, there's too many problems in the world. I know that the COVID rates are going to spike. Like, what does that, you know, mean for the homeless people in our neighborhood if we have a polar vortex? Da, 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 da. Like, I spiral every time we get snow. I have, like, about 40 minutes of being like, this is the best. Christmas is coming. <laughs> and then about the rest of the day just being like, I am so privileged and I, I uh, like, yeah. I, when I, I have similar spirals and then I just have to dissociate until I can calm down again. Yeah. And then I'm just kind of like, guess I'll watch the Grinch. I did. Learn. But the Grinch is like also an anti-capitalist manifesto. And I'm like, okay, well now I'm just guilty again. It, it truly is. But I learned a fun fact that, uh, is not guilt inducing at all. Yeah. About the fall and spring equinoxes, I believe um, it is very special because in Chicago, on the equinox, the sun sets like exactly so that you can see it between the east-west streets. And I think particularly downtown, so it's like the sun is perfectly in the middle of like the t- skyscrapers. Oh, that's cute. It's cool as hell. I mean, we missed our opportunity to go down to the loop and see it. We really did. Although the other day I was down there, and I swear to God, on like every um, avenue on like Michigan Avenue. So there's the park behind it and then there's all the, um, buildings and stuff. I, there were like five or six people taking photographs at every single Avenue. That's funny. I don't know if it's like photography class or people just love to do it. I was excited to get outside and take pictures of people love taking pictures of Chicago. Yeah. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. Everybody who doesn't live there is like listening to street names being like, they're here, is listening to our street names being like, the fuck are they talking about? Well, what are we ever talking about here at the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast, podcast where occasionally we talk about Teen Wolf. But only sometimes. Uh, only sometimes. We, are, we will talk about it eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And this week we're talking about season three, episode 10, The Overlooked. Yes, it was directed by our close personal friend, Russell Mulcahy. Love him. Um, and written by Jeff Davis and Angela Harvey, the dynamic duo of Teen Wolf, apparently. Yeah. Um, they've been on a roll. They have These been. last couple of episodes. I love a good Russell Mulcahy episode. Mm-hmm. It was so wet. It was so much water. Uh, also, like, this episode in particular, like, a lot of episodes of Teen Wolf, but this one in particular should probably have an epilepsy warning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of flashing lights by Kanye West. I mean, like, just, <laughs> I, I I had to kind of look away from the screen and just listen to the dialogue um, for a bit because it was very, so, you know, mm-hmm. warning from me to you guys. Yeah. If you plan on rewatching and you have experienced brain drama since last you watched Teen Wolf this one was really hard to look at Teen Wolf is just so dark all the time and I think about how like to make black lace you go blind because you can't see what you're doing back in the olden days there's like a Madeline story about it. it's really weird but anyway sometimes I feel like I'm going blind when I watch Teen Wolf because I can't see anything no it's 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 too dark I was thinking about this though the overlooked sounds like it could be his own series on the c-dub slash also a band yeah it's a band name if I have But it like, wouldn't be a good band. It'd be like pop punk, but not one that gets popular beyond like sort of pop punk girls. <laughs> uh, we would probably call it derivative of something. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, but yeah, this episode is was fun. I think we both walked away from this being like, God, that was so much better than last week's episode. It was really well paced, I thought. Really well paced. I feel like I was entertained the whole time. It had good action movie vibes. Mm-hmm. Um there could have been less action. There always could be. Uh, and, I, you know, I have my problems with it, like I do every episode of Teen Wolf, but we'll dig into that after we do our recap. Are you ready? Because you're going first. I am. I took notes. I generally take plot notes. I just don't take any other notes and then fumble through my words through the rest of the podcast, as I think <laughs> our listeners can tell. Uh. <laughs> They're like, could you guys put in some effort? <laughs> Mm, no no okay all right are you ready yeah one two three 
Okay, so this episode picks up right from the uh, previous episode where Jennifer tried to kill Lydia. She runs over to Derek's apartment to try and explain what happened, but Scott and Styles are already there, and they reveal her true face to Derek. They rush off to the hospital because they know that there's something wrong with Cora, and Jennifer says that she can save them, um, but Styles thinks that that is really suspicious. And then the werewolves show up, or rather, they're already there trying to uh, get Jennifer from uh, Derek, and they're just trying to get in the way of getting Cora out of the hospital. Um they decide that they're going to fight. Um, Peter takes some epinephrine straight to the heart, and it doesn't really go very well. But they make it down to the ambulance uh, to put Cora on there. Deucalion shows up, takes Melissa hostage. Um, Allison, Chris, and Isaac are at the school, and then they're like, wait a minute, we should go to the hospital. Um, Derek and Jennifer get trapped in the elevator, and we find out Jennifer's uh, very tragic backstory with Kali, how she killed her, um, and that was her emissary. And oh, wait, I think your timer went off. No, sorry, you had five seconds. Oh I'll give you five seconds. Uh, g- hold on. Anyway, Jennifer takes uh, Melissa and beats up Derek. Melissa and Sharon. Okay, Sheriff that was your five seconds. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. It just wasn't showing up on, like, you know how your phone yeah, will yeah. say. I, I, mm. I just, I felt so good about what was going on. Uh, I'm, um, I'm, you know, well known to ruin big moments. Um, I'm an Aries like that, so... <laughs> Okay. Are are you ready? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, press play. Okay. Three, two, one, go. So there's a thunderstorm and the hospital has to be evacuated and, uh... Uh, Jennifer rolls up to, to Derek's house, but Scott and Sally are already there being like, she's the, you know, Duroc. So they go to the hospital and Jennifer's like, I'm the only one who can save Cora and also the sheriff. And they believe her for some fucking reason. And they go to the hospital. And Melissa tells them that they need to get Cora out of the ambulance and they go to look for Cora. And then they run into Ethan and Aiden and they have to fight them so that they can sneak Jennifer out of the hospital because all the alphas are really concerned are with killing her. And, uh, Chris and Allison and Isaac head to the hospital and Jennifer gets gives them like this ultimatum where she's either like you have to save me or I don't save your family uh Peter and Scott juice up on the epinephrine and fight the twins and then Kali kills the ambulance driver so they can't get away and then Styles has to give Cora mouth to mouth because she's dying um Peter and Scott go through the laundry chute and Scott like uh, Styles is like monologuing in the ambulance and then Scott is Melissa saves Scott from the twins and Jennifer and Derek are still stuck in an elevator and then like Jennifer and that's time reveals her backstory and then they come up with a plan to trick the alphas to get Jennifer out. But it's a double trick, and she betrays them. Yeah, lots of tricking, lots of plotting, lots of scheming. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was a good sort of... Um, I have a word. Mm-hmm. I, mm, uh, n- no, I don't. But it was... I, I liked... Oh, it's a really good bait and switch, this whole episode. There we go. It was not a word. It was several. A mm-hmm. phrase, if you will, but I yeah. found it eventually. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Bait and switch throughout this episode was good. Um, and then at the end, Scott agrees to go with Deucalion, which leads us to our theme this week, which is going to be compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people have to maybe do things that they wouldn't normally do, um... Or agree to things that they wouldn't normally agree to because the stakes are so high in this episode. I don't really want to start with Scott because I think he's going to be our major point of discussion. Who would you like to talk about first? Um, shall we talk about uh, Derek? I think that's going to be a quick one. but Yes. Um, Derek's main compromise in this particular episode is that he really doesn't want to work with Jennifer. He's furious. Um, but at the same time, he believes that she is the only one who can save Cora. Yeah. Uh, and never explains how or why. Um, well, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of Deadpool when, like, the <laughs> whole time he's, like, trying to find Francis. It's because he believes that he can change his face back. But it's not like Francis ever told him that mm-hmm. he could do that. Deadpool is just, like, desperate for hope. Yeah. And that's what Derek's about, because Cora's dying. He's just desperate, so he will believe her. Uh, begrudgingly, but also, here's the thing about Derek. Like, I feel like if you have bad taste in men, you know, like, anybody might, like, maybe, like, I don't know, like, me or something, you recognize <laughs> that you have bad taste uh-huh. in people. Uh, I feel like Derek should be p- quicker on the recognizing that about himself personally. No, I, when I was watching this, and they're having their whole conversation in the elevator and she's talking about 
uh, Paige and like killing Paige in the Nemeton. And Styles brings up in the episode that this is the second serial killer that Derek has dated. Yeah. Uh, which is true. And like somehow this is all completely passive. Derek is not doing this on purpose, but he is the architect of his own destruction. Yeah. Which sucks. I mean, Derek's biggest antagonist to his protagonist is himself. (laughs) He just creates all of his own problems by trusting the wrong people. Which is so weird for somebody who refuses to extend trust in so many aspects. He just gives it to, like, pretty faces. Like, Mm -hmm. dude. Yeah. Given his history, you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. It's just kind of ridiculous and he doesn't get a whole lot of like talking in this episode he's just angry he is just angry yeah is this is very uh sour wolf Mm -hmm. tyler hecklin acting his his brows are very furrowed he doesn't actually have a lot of lines though so i mean he just keeps saying like i don't care i don't care i don't care over and over again at that point it stops sounding like words um yeah he he is very reluctant to help uh, Jennifer and she's very insistent on making him think that it's the right thing to do and the kind of interesting thing is he does help her but never really thinks he never really gives in to being like no like you're gonna save mm-hmm. Cora because obviously he like knows she's a serial killer at that point yeah um, I love that like there's the moment with them in the elevator and, like after she like waxes poetic about being ugly which is like me too bitch get over it <laughs> Oh, I had things to say about that. We'll get there. Um, uh, She tells the story of why mistletoe is important in Norse mythology, but doesn't actually explain why it's important (laughs) to druids. She's just like, it's overlooked. And I'm like, is that just like your sort of mantra? I suppose so. I was hoping for like a magical reason to be like, oh, it also has these properties. Like, I feel like there's a sort of like, alchemy answers to like why mistletoe might be important they drop well they drop the hints like in throughout the whole season because people are vomiting up mistletoe and uh scott throws like powdered pulverized mistletoe Mm -hmm. at her at the beginning so it would have been nice to get an answer as to why that works or as to why she's feeding it to people yeah somehow yeah i don't know i don't i don't know either um but you were saying that but, like, even after she goes through all of... She, like, exhausts literally every single option in trying to get Derek back on her side, even... Because she plays the pity me Barbie card. She really does. Where she's like, but, but you won't even look at me because I'm ugly. Like, aren't you thinking that I'm ugly? Which is, like, he does not care at this point. <laughs> that is, You are a murderer. Your face, least of his concerns. Bottom of page three. Yeah. Like, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> and then... You know, she is like, I'm gonna, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. As if the dumbest thing is that they would even consider that she might help them find the sheriff when they know that he's going to be a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Ding dongs. I think they could have played up on this a little bit more, but, um, it's a really telling moment. Like when she gets to Derek's apartment and she's trying to explain to it like, like explain to him something and uh, she's like, oh, they've already gotten to you because there's no way Derek's not going to believe Scott. Yeah. Well, it's also like her weird sort of, ugh, this is actually, I, I I think Jennifer is way smarter than the dialogue given to her in that scene. Yeah, for sure. It's a lot of like, uh, they're, they're trying to spin some crazy tale. Man, she would have an excuse prepared. She, this is, she has been playing the long fucking game here. Like, Jennifer is smarter than that. I don't even like Jennifer, and I can't believe I'm defending her from the writers. Yeah. Well, also, I feel like she... The the thing to do there would be to be very, like, sympathetic towards Scott and Styles. Be like, oh, you poor traumatized children. Yeah. And instead being like, they're liars. Yeah. What? You're an educator. I assume you <laughs> like kids at least a little bit. Yeah. She even brings that up in her defense. She's just a poor, poor English, English teacher. teacher. If you were just a poor English teacher, you would be like, you know, I've seen kids go through crazy things at the school. And, you know, like, yeah. Again, mm-hmm. Jennifer's so much smarter. But my main point in talking about all of her sort of um, tactics to get Derek back on her side is that they don't really work. So it is impressive that Derek, who has basically uh, been the one person who we're supposed to always believe in who's compromised his morals the most in 
this season, maybe all of them with the exception of like kind of Allison, but like mm-hmm. whatever. Um, he doesn't budge. And I'm like, finally, someone grew a backbone. He is literally only doing this because it is like on Cora's life. Yeah. It's some, it, there's conviction yeah. in him, which is nice Yeah, to see. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like when we see with like, Kate still always had a way of getting like a little bit under his skin. Mm-hmm. And I think he learned his lesson. I think like Kate is very much lives rent free in Derek's head, which is why, but he's like, I'm not doing that shit again when mm-hmm. he looks at Jennifer, um, which is interesting. Um, she doesn't do any compromising. Um, really. She's just kind of there to monologue. She just believes that she's right in all things that she does. <laughs> Me too. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't kill people. So yeah. I think that's okay. Yeah. Maybe not socially, but, um, but we do, you know, see that she is the crux of much compromise. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about Kali. Yeah, let's do that. Um, whose name is pronounced differently by every actor on this show. They just couldn't agree. They didn't have a quick like memo going out this week being like, by the way, the emphasis is on the first syllable or whatever. I guess not. I'm a little bit like Gideon Emery gets a pass because he has an accent. Yeah, but nobody else. Yeah, but everybody else it pronounces it differently. I'm going to say Kali because that's what makes sense in my brain. Mm-hmm. Kali sounds like a brand of overpriced tennis shoes. <laughs> yeah, she's also coded to be like Indian. Like I think that's... Or, like, Southeast Asian. So Kali makes sense in terms of the pronunciation. Yeah, sure. Um, um, she, we get her backstory, basically, for the first time. We, which is good, because I've been kind of waiting. Um, it also just showed me that, like, my hatred of Jennifer has nothing to do with her being a woman. It's actually just that she sucks, because I was so sympathetic towards what Kali was saying. And yeah. we have every reason to hate Kali. Um but Kali, it is revealed uh, that Jennifer, who was at that point Julia, um, was her emissary. And it was the final task before she could join Deucalion's pack was to kill her. And she chooses basically not to, you know, do the final blow that would kill her in hopes that she will just die. Which is actually, like, I was a little bit like, Kali, just... Mercy killing at that point. Yeah, because she says very specifically that she wanted to let someone she loved die peacefully. And if that were the case, she would have just snapped her neck. Like a little bit, a little bit of poison in the yeah. tea. I, you know, there were ways not to that go poison about is it. a pleasant way of dying, but no, but it's uh, fast. Yeah, and in some cases, I would assume painless. If it's a good poison, I don't. I don't know anything about poison, guys. Just. I don't think we can say that. I, well, the only thing I know is about lethal injection, and I one don't want to talk about that, and two, no, it's not painless. It is massively painful. Uh, Ban the death penalty. Woohoo! Um, um, yeah. Would it be the Teen Wolf Free Wolf if we didn't um, mention prison <laughs> abolition? Probably not. Um, we're like, I, I feel like I don't. I'm not listening to the show for the right reasons. Maybe not. Um, yeah. So she admits that she couldn't kill Jennifer that she in that that it was because she loved her uh and it was both a compromise on her part to do the killing and also to not finish it Mm -hmm. um and ultimately like her inability to completely go to either side is what has caused them a great many problems yeah and the really interesting thing about the way that that particular bit of storytelling is constructed is it kind of bounces back and forth um, we hear Kali's side and then we hear Jennifer's side of the story. And what's so striking about what Kali says is that Jennifer was someone she loved mm-hmm. and like deeply cared about. And she didn't understand why she had to kill her. And then when Jennifer is talking about like her motivation to do all of this stuff, it is so centered around the fact that she's ugly <laughs> and the fact that like she had her identity ripped away from her, which is a valid trauma. Um, but I think it's very strange to have gone that route when you had someone who we have only ever perceived to be evil saying that she loved her. 
Yeah. And you would assume that that affection was mutual. Um, yeah, I mean, I would be so much more impressed with Jennifer if she had been like, somebody I love betrayed me. That is the natural like progression, progression and consequence. Or or rather, if she came at this from the sort of like morale emissary approach and was like, I'm restoring balance well, by that- taking away the power and that was given to her when she did that to me. And that has been the implication throughout the entire season is that whoever is doing this is doing it in an attempt to restore balance badly because they have gone evil. They're yeah. a Dirac now, but it's just so disappointing that it turns out to be so petty. Yeah. Uh, and then it, it was turns like, out, Meh. okay, sorry. It's just a revenge fantasy, which is like interesting on Peter because he doesn't give a shit. Well, no, it's, it, it would be interesting if it was a revenge fantasy Again, for the right reasons. If she was getting revenge on Kali for doing that to her, it's mostly just a sort of like, I'm ugly. Yeah, it's so ugly. Yeah, like I said, like pity me, Elmo. Just like ugh, ugh. Her whole. Also, speech. I do have a question about her face while we're on this. Mm-hmm. Why uh, does it look like that? Why would she not just have scarring? Where did her hair go? Why is her skin white? I don't know. Also, I mean, I just have a lot of questions about that in general. Because I mean, the character design is interesting. Yeah. Very, Look, a very Star Trekian, if you ask me. I would agree. Um, I think perhaps the implication is that she has gone bad and then her form has taken on that as a reflection of her choices. Okay. Um, is my assumption. But I'm also just confused because at the end of her story, she's like, I, someone found me and it's the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure that earlier they were talking about how she was dead. So she came back to life. Like, I don't, I don't get the chronology. No. At all. No. Sorry. Back to Kali. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also interested in that piece of storytelling because it also shows me that her allegiance to Deucalion was compromise because she Mm -hmm. really joined the pack to be with Ennis, which like true love, which is great. But I mean, even I guess for evil people, um, but with Ennis gone, it is showing me that like that compromise is seeming a lot less worth it. Uh, especially when Deucalion, Deucalion is essentially the one who caused this problem by being like, you need to kill Mm-hmm. Jennifer, Julia, whatever that her name is. Um, and it was really interesting because that's obviously everybody in, in, in this episode is faced with some sort of like choice that they would, that would never be their first. And it's interesting to me that we're seeing colleagues be the one that we're seeing, you know, retroactively. Mm-hmm. We're seeing how the regret and like the, you know, the consequences have played out, which is... Interesting going forward, because a lot of other people had to make decisions they didn't want to make, and then now have to uh, live with those consequences. Yeah. And, I mean, it also helps us to understand particularly why Kali is the one going after Derek, as opposed to somebody else from yeah. the pack, as opposed to the twins. Yeah. Um, Who I kind of want to touch on next. Because mm-hmm. um, she is the one who's most personally affected by that. She, yeah, she's got the most investment. Uh, even though... She doesn't know that Deucalion was the one who killed Ennis. True. Crazy. I forgot about that. That was the beginning of the season. Yeah, he like cracks his, he crushes the front of his skull, which is disgusting. But also like good gore. Very satisfying. Um, Yeah. Teen Wolf is always, Mm -hmm. Teen Wolf overdoes the gore, but when it does the gore good, it's like, mm -hmm, Mm mm-hmm, yes. Um, The gore always has a purpose. No. Most of the time. No. I, I mean, I am not thinking about, like, Actually, additional it, seasons, but yeah. I think so up, far. Up, yeah. Season five, when everyone's puking up silver Sharpie, I'm like, ugh. No, that's disgusting. I'm thinking up until now. Yeah. It has. It's purposeful. Um, What was my point? Oh. The twins. The twins, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, They have an interesting thing uh, in this episode especially i mean this is kind of like poetic maybe in the overly obvious way where they're fighting an internal battle uh, (laughs) as they are conjoined um where aiden accuses ethan of pulling his punches um and i think that aiden is 
at this point, far more sympathetic towards Ethan's allegiance to Scott, or at least the, you know, Beacon Hills friends. Um, but they continuously try to tell Scott, we don't want to hurt you. We don't want to hurt you. We just want her. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because they're admitting that they would not be doing this if it weren't for what Deucalion wants. They, they are not going after Scott of their own volition. Yes. I mean, Aiden might, but even then, not really. It also seems kind of antithetical to the way that Deucalion operates, which is that you just kill anyone who gets in your way. Mm -hmm. Um, and Scott and Peter are repeatedly getting in their way. Uh, and they, they let them live. Yeah. Each time. It's a real continuation of what we saw in the previous episode. Anyone letting Peter live is... Cr- <laughs> Insane. Yeah, they're a pacifist. <laughs> uh, to be fair, they don't know Peter. But, That's true. Um, that yeah. scene at the beginning where Melissa's like, you're supposed to be dead. And he's like, I get that a lot. Like, That's really funny. Yeah. Um, missed, like, I, I truly feel like 90% of the time, the, the source of humor in the show is from him and Styles, And he's yeah. been missing, so we've been missing uh-huh. so much of it. There were some strangely funny moments in this episode for being very heavy. Yeah. There's some good Isaac stuff. I love when Isaac's like trying to describe <laughs> who Jennifer is. He's like, she's kind of hot. Everyone's looking at him. He's like, just an observation. <laughs> it's true. Isaac returns to be horny on Maine. <laughs> the horniest character on Teen Wolf? Mm, no Lydia yeah you're right yeah and good for her I know um yeah yeah she wasn't in this episode which was I mean it's fine there was a lot going on no she but. did not need to be in this episode she's recovering from her injuries um oh my god I just is the next episode where her and Styles kiss is it when he's having a panic attack yeah. maybe <gasps> Oh, I'm so pumped. Just made it. You looked behind me and I was like, what just happened? No, I was, I was, I was having a, uh, that's a Raven vision <laughs> over in that direction, predicting the next episode. Um, that moment is so good. It lives in my brain rent free. It's so good. Uh, not that that's not the episode we're talking about though. So, but we mm-hmm. will discuss it. Um, in, oh yeah. In full. Um, you know, it's funny because Styles kind of also has a little bit of compromise to be made in this episode, but it is more in sort of conjunction with Scott's. I think it's a real continuation of what we've seen from him uh, up till now. And I also think he's doing an excellent job of foreshadowing what 3B is going to be like because he feels... Yeah, 3B is great. We cannot... I'm so bummed. We're very excited. Um, but he... Styles, I think, feels extremely powerless um and has felt increasingly powerless throughout the season and he knows that in this particular situation there's nothing that he can really do to help beyond i mean he is in the ambulance and he gives core mouth to mouth which is important she lives because of that but he's monologuing to her unconscious body and says you know like i used to be the one with the plan yeah i thought that was really interesting and also sort of it kind of reflects to me that in Scott's sort of rise to power, Styles has been less u- underutilized because his sort of original thing in, in their early life was that he was like the brains of the operation and now things have gotten so much bigger than Styles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine he does feel very helpless, which does lead you to, you know, agreeing, fine, whatever, like we'll save Jennifer if it means saving my dad because it is the last thing that he can think to do. Yeah, he doesn't even really have a rebuttal to that, despite feeling like it is not wrong. Mm-hmm. He knows very very early on in the episode that there's something wrong with the way that Jennifer's acting. Um, yeah, he predicts it mm-hmm. right in, in the car on the way to the hospital. Yeah, and I I really think that that sort of tiff he gets into with Derek uh, when they're in the I think they're like in an, in the morgue. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, the tiff he gets into with Derek is very telling because I think the underlying thing is like, you are the cause of this, but now I have to go along with you because my, uh, like we are both the ones who have the biggest risk in this situation because my dad is missing and your sister's missing yeah. or dying. Which is, I mean, kind of a bummer because 
It's not Derek's fault. It's a little Derek's fault. I, you told me you clocked her coming from the beginning of the season. Derek oh. is an idiot. But is Derek being an idiot his fault? Uh, that's like a way bigger psychological <laughs> question that neither of us are prepared to answer. Uh, yeah. I mean, but you can understand where Styles is coming from mm-hmm. on that particular yeah. front. Also, I think that if he were upset with Scott in any way, it would be really difficult for him to express that. So Derek is the most convenient target. I agree. I do love that scene in the um, ambulance because the lights are out and it's not like he can even do it. Like it's not, you know, you think of sort of like an ambulance as being something that is there to help people or like to help in an emergency and it's empty and it's like the, you know, it's off and it's just him and Cora there. And he like does what he can to save her. Although I feel like mouth to mouth is actually not where you start. I feel like it's chest compressions. Yeah. I was confused. I feel like you combine the two. Yeah. You do a little chest compression, you do a little mouth-to-mouth. Mouth. Yeah. And you alternate back I, I mean, from what I understand of movies. But I also know that you can do it without doing mouth-to-mouth, mouth, but that might just be for heart I don't know. Problems. Well, um, if your heart has stopped, which is the implication. Yeah. Any EMTs out there, let us know. <laughs> that would be interesting. I would love to uh, interview a medical professional to be like, okay, so this episode of Teen Wolf, how, did, how does how, that work? How'd they do? How, would they live? And they'd probably be like, no, no. for everything. Um, she is a werewolf. But she is a werewolf, yeah. However. Okay, but also going back to what I said last episode, Styles and Cora would have been an amazing relationship for, if not this season, next. They He even really says, would. like, next time I, my, I put my lips on yours, then you better be conscious. Next time. Next time. Also, consensual king. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know what I was thinking about through that entire bit was, God, I wish I cared more about Cora. She was, yeah, all the, all, uh, I, meanwhile, Jennifer is like, in, in Norse mythology, and I'm like, it takes so much for me to not be interested in mythology, uh, yeah. but it turns out that you talking about it really just turns my brain off. Yeah. Um, I actually think I feel more invested in Korra and more interested because this is the second time I'm watching this season. Uh, so I and now we follow Adelaide Kane on TikTok. Yes, she's delightful. Um, but it it would have been so much more impactful. Like there's no real sense of anxiety over her condition. It's kind of like a subplot of the episode. I mean, it is central to everything, but it's not something that's constantly on my mind while I'm watching it. Yeah, well, it's definitely the driving force behind. Peter's actions, if not just Derek's, it's mm-hmm. all, it's pretty much all of Peter's motivation, which is like, he does love his family. The, Weird. The <laughs> little moment at the beginning of the episode where he's like, uh, sponging her face. Yeah. And he's like, can we get somebody in here to take care of my niece? Very um, sweet. Yeah. A rare moment of humanity. It's not actually that rare. Like Peter, even though Peter, uh, and like Derek are like way, definitely more like uh, begrudging bros than uncle and nephew. Mm-hmm. Like he loves Derek. He just, he does not always, I mean, he's never the person there when Derek is like bleeding out. <laughs> yeah. How unfortunate. <laughs> if he was, I'm sure there would be a, a moment like that. But I, I also think it's a lot easier to express tenderness towards a girl. Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, and there's not a lot really to say about the people like Isaac in this episode or even Chris. Uh, Melissa is mostly used as a prop by Deucalion, which sucks. Yeah. I mean, um, she gets a few moments of being extremely helpful and perceptive. Oh, she zaps Ethan and Aiden out of their Megatron form. Yeah. Mama it's McCall. Great. She's so great. Ugh, love her. Um... But I think we should should shift into talking about Scott, who has to make the most amount of compromises in this episode and then ultimately makes one that really sets us up for the final two episodes of this season in a big way. Yeah, he... I mean, starting from the very beginning, he has to make the same compromise that Derek and Stiles are both making, which is to bring Jennifer to the hospital. Um which he doesn't really want to do, but he's not as vocal about it. Um, no. I don't know. I think he's, it, it seems kind of like he's scheming. 
the whole time. He is scheming. I also think there the anxiety of his dad's disappearance prevents him from making moves, I think, in any one direction. I think he feels just as trapped as Derek does, which is also what leads to their tiff in the morgue. What, would it be a morgue, though? There's a crash cart in there. No one knows anything about hospitals on this show. Who cares? Also, I mean... I think it would have been an OR, no, that, OR though. Well, they're being be evacuated. Right. They might have shoved things. Maybe, but I don't remember. But I'm also like, were there drawers? Maybe I've been misremembering. Maybe he will... Never mind. You know what? Never if, mind. If it's helpful to us, we will just call it a morgue. Okay, sure. It's in the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, but he you know, feels incredibly helpless. And it's actually, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I was going to bring this up in Q's nose, but I might as well bring it up now. The sort of re, the, the, this is the first time we see Styles wield the bat, I think. Because mm-hmm. um, we, the, the bat shows up in the first episode when Scott thinks that Styles is a predator, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And uh, Melissa even says, why does Styles have my bat? Love that it's her bat. I really am just sort of picturing her on like a sort of hospital softball team. How cute. Yeah, right? How Like nurses mundane. versus doctors yeah. softball or something fun like that. I love that. Yeah. Um, but he says like, well, you have claws. I have this. And then the bat immediately shatters when he tries to hit Ethan Aiden uh, Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's kind of pretty much what it is for Styles right now. Yeah. But even Scott can't really seem to get anywhere. Yeah. In this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, despite his true alpha powers, which is confirmed. Yes. In by... this episode by Jennifer. Yeah. That's so funny that I was like, let's talk about Scott. And I was like, but back to Styles. I was like, I was confused for a minute. I got there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Scott is in doing his best to make sure that everybody can get what they need out of the situation. It's not even really a question of want anymore. Where he needs for Styles' his dad to stay alive, and he needs for Cora to stay alive, and he thinks that that means keeping Jen- keeping Jennifer alive, which means that he has to you know, disobey the alpha pack, even though it, in that moment it feels, I think there are moments in this episode where it really feels like the easiest thing to do would just be hand her over. Hand her over or run away. Yeah. Um, which doesn't seem to be an option for any of them. I don't think Scott would ever um, run away. No, no, he's too brave. <laughs> he's too brave. He's too noble. <laughs> um, but so he's constantly fighting with, Ethan and Aiden, which it sucks because they say to him constantly, we're not trying to hurt you. And I really feel like the last thing that Scott wants to do is fight Ethan and Aiden. Yeah. Cause he likes them. Yeah. At least a little bit. I think he sympathizes with them, especially after the last episode where they, where we find out about their backstory. Yeah. And also like at this point, Ethan is kind of by the transitive property in the friend group. Yes. Because um, of Danny. Danny. Yes. Where's Danny been? I've missed him. Well, he was on stage. Oh, that's right. The, the, that adorable moment of the tie adjustment. That's right. I totally forgot he was in the last episode because yeah. it sucked. Um, <laughs> sorry, Teen Wolf. Actually, I'm not sorry. I, mm-hmm. I come in here and I, you know, talk about it every week and sing its praises. I'm allowed to have my issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Scott is in a position where he can't move in the right direction no matter which way he moves. It's all wrong. And that is what ultimately leads to the end of the episode when he agrees to go with Deucalion. Um, Which feels like an ultimate betrayal of Styles. Yeah. And and Styles is freaking out on the roof over it. Um, as one might do if they think that their best friend is going over to the sort of dark side, which I don't think he thinks that Scott is. I think that Styles want so badly for there to be another option. But Scott even says to him, like, weren't you always supposed to be the one with the plan B? Yeah. Howie. It's, I think this is particularly interesting because we, we have seen Scott kind of go this route once before 
when he's working with Duke, not Ducalion, with Gerard, but no one knew about it. And Scott always had a plan. Yeah. And this time he has to walk away from his pack, essentially in front of his best friend in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And it is only because that is the only option that he has. Well, it's funny because I bringing that up, it really does sort of like there was always another way for the first two seasons to end up okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, season one is so long ago. <laughs> they were so <laughs> there young was a whole pandemic yeah. between <laughs> us doing that season and now. Um, but it's just kind of reminding me. I think sort of the end portion of motel California kind of like sums up where Scott is now. He's like, there's no hope and I can't save my friends. And he's Mm -hmm. doing the one thing that he thinks could actually save lives, which is go with Deucalion. Um, and that's heartbreaking to watch somebody who was supposed to be the moral centerpiece of this show have to compromise in that way. I agree. Um, and I also think it's a nice continuation because I think like the events of Motel California are so traumatic and Boyd being killed is so traumatic. Not that Teen Wolf would ever acknowledge that. No, Ugh. they wouldn't. Lydia almost died in this last episode. The sheriff is missing. And finally, Melissa. And, and is Melissa taken. is taken. And that is like the straw that breaks the camel's back. But we have kind of seen it coming, which is... Interesting, given the fact that we know that Scott is a true alpha, Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like because he is uh, so exceptional in the werewolf world that there should be another choice for him, but there really isn't. Yeah, I mean, I said this to you um, before we started recording. I think the sort of earlier instances of this kind of happening throughout the show is a little bit more like devil you know versus devil you don't. Mm -hmm. But this is something that is like very much the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And he realizes that the ultimate sort of evil in the series at the moment is going to be Jennifer. And if there's going to be somebody else who wants to take her down, he's got to align himself with them. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, if you're Scott or pretty much anybody, I hold grudges. <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, Well-adjusted people. Oh yeah. 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 No. <laughs> I was going to be like, you are a particular case. You are a cancer. I, oh, oh yeah. There's so much, I'm a cancer and a Scorpio rising, so there's just no hope for people who have wronged me. Somebody uh, who, with bangs, just heard that and was like, how does an Aries live with a cancer? We don't know. <laughs> it works somehow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that is, it's, 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 it's a really big part of sort of Scott's emotional growth because I think the things that test him uh to point out that, you know, there isn't always good in this world, that morality is more often than not gray, like, are the things that actually push him the most into his true alphadom, and it's going to be the events that cut, take place over the next little bit that actually prove that of him, um, which is interesting that it starts with something so sad. Yeah, I mean... I know that the theme right now is compromise and Scott is compromising his morals by going with Deucalion. But I also think that that takes a certain amount of strength to admit that you can't win it alone. Yeah. And to admit that sometimes you have to take the less savory route. Yeah. Um, and it might not be like morally right, not might not be the morally right thing to do, but it is, it, it shows a strength of character that he's willing to make that kind of sacrifice. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think we, are you ready to move into Q's and O's? Let's do it. I have no questions. Do you have any questions? I do. And this is more of a philosophical question. Uh, okay. <laughs> do you think Peter knew about Scott being a true alpha? Yeah. Because he acts so surprised, it just seems like he's far too perceptive to have let that slip by him. Yeah. Yeah. I I kind of wish that that showed up. 
in and out. Maybe it does. Maybe I'm completely forgetting. No, I don't think it does. I just think that Peter would be able to look at him and be like, something is going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, it's like if somebody tells you what you're getting for Christmas and you have to open it and be like, oh. I had, this is a, how did you know? You know, that's kind of what it feels like. Oh my yeah. God. R- really? He, I mean, yeah, he would never reveal that he knew that because knowledge is power. Yeah. Um, but I also just, telling Derek, Hey, I think that Scott might be a true alpha, especially when Derek was on his shit show brigade would not have been helpful. Yeah. Um, I just kind of wish that there had been like a little wink. Yeah. So that we knew, but I feel pretty confident. Yeah. I just wanted to know if you agreed. Uh, that wasn't really a philosophical question so much as it was like light conjecture. Yeah. <laughs> but um, they're going to be like, what does it mean to be alive? <laughs> what? Yeah. What does it mean? Um, what does it mean? Actually, we can stop right there. What does it all mean? <laughs> um, I think that's all my questions. I feel like this is actually one of the extremely rare episodes where all of the questions I had were later answered in the episode. No wonder this episode was good. Amazing. Yeah. Do you have any O's you want to jump in with? Yeah. Um, I love Chris being a good dad. I love him being like, I'm going to take both of you home uh, to Allison and Isaac. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice little moment. Um, and I feel this is something we talk about just in our personal conversations all the time when we watch a movie that's just like a gray color palette because it's supposed to imply that it's serious or like, you know, this, this is a trash. Boring. So So boring. It's garbage. Well, we hate it. And the thing is Teen Wolf is dark and we complain about that all the time. But even when it is so dark, it's not gray. Like there were some really, we have several episodes where I can go back on the podcast and be like, all we complained about was how great this episode was. Well, sometimes it is grayscale on purpose. Like the, um, the flashback episode with Paige and stuff that felt really grayed out, but like the greens in the like lighting in this particular episode. And there's so much blue, like it feels very vibrant, which I appreciate since I can't see half of what's going on. That's, uh, I, I don't know if I agree with you, but I'm, I'm interested in that take. Uh, okay. Do you have any other O's? Um, just one more. I feel like throughout most of the episode, we get the feeling that the hospital is very small, which it wouldn't be, but it takes Chris an absurdly long time to run into anyone. Uh, well, I mean, small town hospitals are small. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't. Small town hospitals are small. Right. So I am just confused. Oh, you're confused as to why it took so long? Uh, like a full 20 minutes from when they arrived to when they finally run into. I mean, I don't know what the time frame of the. I show think they is. make it seem like this whole episode is supposed to take place in like 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, but it just takes them so long. Yeah. I think this episode's kind of in real time, which is cool. Yeah. Very fun. Um, yeah. I only have one observation, and it was just to compliment Dylan O'Brien. Yeah. His monologue in the ambulance is so good, especially when he's like, I think you're right that we're the ones that find the body, and I don't want to find my dad's body. It, I think it was particularly necessary, given how action-packed this yeah. episode was. To have. And I was just kind of like sitting there, and I was thinking about Kali's sort of monologue and his monologue, and I was thinking about how much I hated Jennifer's whole like. <laughs> You know, (laughs) (laughs) I just like was listening to her sort of like just suck her way through this episode. And I was like, Dylan O'Brien carries this show on his back. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that too. Yeah. Um, That was my only observation is that he's good at acting, which like, oh, (laughs) profound observation there, Christian. Shout out. Uh, do you want to do pack stats really quickly? Let's do it. Go ahead. Uh, I counted four eyes, four glowy eyes. There were probably more, but that's what I got. There's a lot of flashing. Yeah. Uh, two claws unfurling. One shirt. I count Ethan and Aiden as one shirt. Um, there was an AT&T slash Motorola ad. I have a question about Ethan and Aiden. <laughs> yeah. So they have to be shirtless to do their like morph into each other. But they keep what their pants. What happens with the pants? <laughs> they, clearly... they have to, the legs go together too, right? Yeah. It's not that they walk around on four legs. No, and they're not wearing oversized pants, so it just doesn't make any sense. Okay. 
I I know that I like defend Twilight a little bit too much, no, but the fact that they explain in Twilight that you can't wear pants as a werewolf is very important. I was thinking about that the whole time yeah. as, as well. I, I just love the scenes in Twilight when they turn into the wolves and their clothes just shred into thin yeah. air. Um, oh, so dumb. Big fan. Also, the one other ad was um toyota Mm -hmm. and there was like a spotlight on the little toyota logo and not only that but when uh isaac like reverses to kind of knock over the twins there's a little spotlight on the rav4 (laughs) symbol on the i'm gonna make a weird observation about isaac there is nothing about him or his upbringing that would suggest to me that isaac can drive absolutely nothing the fact that all of them can drive and they're all juniors is actually really weird Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't Peter be driving? Why wouldn't Peter be driving? Um, so many people like get their license throughout all different points of high school mm-hmm. or like can't afford to get it, which like Isaac would, I feel like would be in that cat. How the, f- how- there was some weird car stuff in this episode because Derek pulls up in like an SUV to the hospital, which is not the car. We know he doesn't drive that car. No, he so- drives his little sportsy number. His little... This little Dodge yeah. Charger, I think. Um, um, but yeah, do you want to do Alpha of the Week? I think we, we are exhausting this episode <laughs> with the minutiae. Uh, do you want to do your Alpha of the Week? Mm, yes. There's not a lot to choose from. I actually might just give it to Deucalion just for being a good villain. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Melissa. Oh, you're right. She wins. She tries so hard and she kind of makes um little victories possible which is more than i can say for anybody else yes let's give it to melissa i always love when we can give it to her heck yes i think that about wraps it up uh for this episode of the teen wolf ray wolf if you guys like this episode i hope you rate and review us on itunes stitcher whatever get our names out there um uh, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, our Twitter is at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us at Tumblr at TeenWolfReWolf. And you can also join our Facebook group if you want to talk with other members of the Wolf Pack, discuss episodes, share fun Teen Wolf news. Uh, we're, it's a public group on Facebook. Just type in Teen Wolf ReWolf Podcast and you'll find us. Um, other than that... We're getting ready for the penultimate episode of this season next week, so I Um, hope you guys are excited. I'm pumped. They're particularly good. Oh, these last two episodes are good, Teen Wolf. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, I hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Ah, woo!